Oh my gosh. I can't believe you're even bringing this up. This is, you're, I don't know how you guys are jumping into my head and you're asking <laughs> the greatest <laughs> questions that no one ever asked. I love this. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Beyond the Mouse Podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by my co-hosts who are dancing in their Zoom boxes. I've got Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello, I'm Shameen. Can you tell with my voice? Uh, we can, actually. <laughs> Either that or you're just gyrating uh, uncontrollably. I guess it's a shimmy. It, it does seem like it's in the way of a shimmy. Speaking of the shimmiest shimmier around, we have Brett Rutherford. I'm doing the funky turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> the funky turkey leg. I love it. Oh I gosh. love it. <laughs> oh, man. It is, it is December here, uh, and we are just so excited to give you an early gift for the holiday season. We are going to bring you an interview with Saul Blinkoff. Now, Saul is someone that he works so much on the animation and on the production side, you might not recognize immediately his name, but I think you are going to really enjoy the uh, interview that we're going to bring you because he is someone that I've listened to a lot of on his podcast, Life of Awesome. I'm going to ask him some questions about that show, but he's so inspiring in the way that he speaks about his career and his passion in animation. I can't wait to hear what he's going to talk about. I'm so excited for this. Brett, how about you? What are you excited for? Oh my gosh. Well, he has worked with Eartha Kitt. And I have questions to ask. I must know what that is like. The legendary Eartha Kitt and so many other wonderful things. So I can't wait to ask him, you know, those questions and whatever else pops up. In my and how mind. did he work with Eartha Kitt? What, uh, what property was he in charge of? What did he direct for well, Disney? He worked on um, Kronk's New Groove. Oh, the sequel to Emperor's New Groove. So yes. he's also got some Patrick Warburton in there that he's worked yes. with. So we might have a story Another there Disney, when we oh, get to God, him. Disney questions for, about Patrick Warburton. Because you got to know. You just have to know. Vanessa, how about you? Are you excited for the interview we have coming up? I'm very excited. You know, sometimes with sequels, we've talked about before that they can be hit or miss, but I did watch Kronk's new group and I thought it was super good. It's a super good sequel. And we need to talk about that sometime, not today, but sometime we'll talk about that. So I'm excited to kind of learn about his approach to movie making and animation. And just, I I'm hoping he's just wonderful because all of our guests have been so wonderful so i'm no looking pressure. forward to meeting him yeah no pressure i mean jody benson if you can her, alan mangan no yeah. just kidding i'm sure he'll be great i'm so excited to talk to him one of my favorite episodes we did this year vanessa was when you and i talked to alexis about planes fire and rescue which was a sequel so i, I absolutely loved that and i really like Kronk's new groove in addition to that, he's also been involved in animation throughout the Disney Renaissance, working on projects like Mulan and Pocahontas. You might have heard of those films. And then he has now moved into the producing space as well. He worked with the Walt Disney Animation Studio for several years, and then he moved over to Netflix and worked with them. And now he's currently working with DreamWorks Animation and bringing the Madagascar movies into more of a series type for Peacock and also for Hulu as well. I'm excited. Let's get to talking to Saul. So without further ado, here's our interview with Saul Blinkoff. 
we are so excited to welcome to the show Saul Blinkoff from Life of Awesome podcast, but also from just a, a huge career in animation. Saul, it's so nice to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. So happy to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm really excited, of course, to talk about your career in animation, working for Disney and DreamWorks and Netflix and all these huge companies that we know and love. But actually, I'm such a podcast nerd and I love Life of Awesome. And so I kind of wanted to dive into that for a minute and talk about your podcast. It's cool that you launched it on January 1st, a brand new year, brand new start for 2021. So talk to us about the inspiration behind Life of Awesome. Yeah, thank you for, for highlighting that. You know, uh, throughout my career working in animation, I've had lots of opportunities to speak to not just animation students, but travel the world and speak to people about, you know, working for their dreams or sharing their own personal story. You know, the thing about me and my life is that I really did set a dream for myself to be a Disney animator. I went through hell, lots of competition. This is before DreamWorks existed, before Pixar existed. That was my dream and, uh, you know, lots of rejection. And I, I achieved that dream. And right after I got into Disney, the first thing that I did was start helping other people get into Disney. I used to be, I was literally on the internship by, at the animation studio, and I would be meeting with artists in the park, people that worked at Disney World, and looking at portfolios of people in the park. And I've always wanted to uh, just help people accomplish because I saw that with the right direction, with the right teaching and the right believing in yourself mentality, that a person could achieve their dream. And after years of traveling and speaking about these kinds of things, a lot of people said, hey, when's the podcast coming out? When's the podcast and the pandemic was really a great gift for me as an opportunity to work from home free up my time and uh, finally start that podcast and that podcast is really simply about how do we have tools to live an awesome life you know we all want awesome everybody wants a life of greatness nobody wakes up and wants to be average nobody wants their marriages to be mediocre we don't want to be mediocre parents we want to get that feeling like you know look we're talking about disney stuff here today that feeling when you walk into disney world that magic feeling of what it feels like when you walk around the bend and you see that castle. Well, we should have that feeling every day of our lives. We should have that feeling when we walk out of Disney World and realize that we're alive and we get to, to enjoy life and to be able to grow through life. So uh, that's really the, the point of the podcast is really to share tools, practical tools for everybody. You know, I have parents telling me my 11-year-old loves it. I have people in their 70s and 80s that love it. It's a family-friendly motivation motivating podcast to share real tools to give everybody a taste of awesome. So much uh, motivation and positive psychology, affirmation, those things that I think we could definitely use more of out in the world. And so it's something that I would really recommend that our listeners go and check out Life of Awesome. It's really cool to hear that you are kind of paying it forward by helping people get into animation or get into the company. You share this great story in your episode on teaching about your experience with Tony West. And I don't want you to repeat that. I want <laughs> people to go and listen to your show. Uh, that's a tease for everybody to have to go and listen to your teaching episode and how you sort of got started and involved in animation. But I wanted to ask about other mentors and the importance of mentors in your life, but then also if you had anybody else you want to mention as we start to talk about animation that really inspired you to go down this path in this career. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. By the way, for the Tony West mention, I will not give away the secrets to that episode either. But I will say that I did have to sneak in to the Disney animation building in order to meet this mentor. And if you want to hear the story of how I snuck in to the animation building at Disney MGM Studios, for those of you real Disney fans, you know, it used to be called that you'll hear that story and about his, his impact on my life. Uh, what an incredible man. Yeah. But mentors is a, it's a really big thing for me. I'm happy you brought that up. Let, Let me first highlight just a quick idea for everyone listening. By the way, if you're listening and you hear some inspiration from this episode or any episode, uh, or any book you read or any Ted talk that you uh, are watching, make sure you write down things that impact you. Cause so often in life, we get inspired and inspiration will just slip through our fingertips. You know, you'll hear something, you'll be inspired, you'll feel really motivated the next day. You'll be like, wait, what did that person say? You might not even remember it. So you have to, it's really important just as an exercise to write down things that impact you and literally wallpaper your room with them, or at least have a journal that you can go to daily. So you go through that wisdom again and again. And so it's not just that you feel inspired, it's so that you live inspired. It has to turn into action. Well, for me, mentors is a big deal. Mentors, uh, the right mentor is a person that is not going to just pat you on your back and tell you everything you do is great. A real mentor is someone that you have trust with that can tell you where you need to work on yourself and you trust them. You have to trust them. I've had many mentors for each facet of my life. I've had mentors in my animation career. I've had mentors in marriage, mentors in raising children. Uh, so you do need to have a mentor. If you're really serious about something, that mentor is going to give you that, that view into yourself that you really don't have because our own egos get in the way. For me personally, some of the great mentors that I've had uh, when I was in art school, Uh, I told you, as I said earlier, I tried to get into Disney uh, two times and got rejected. And then I gave up for a brief couple of days. I gave up on my dream because reality set in. And reality was I was just an average artist. I thought that Disney was for the best of the best. And it is. But I just didn't see myself that way. I got rejected twice from Disney. And I gave up on my dream, guys. I gave up on the entire thing. Then I went to the movies. A buddy calls me up and says, I got tickets to go see a movie. You want to go? And I'm like, I'm not really in the mood. He goes, but they're free. I'm like, oh, okay, then I'll go. You know, when someone offers you free in college, you take it, right? So, you know, sometimes a movie, you can see a movie and it speaks to you what you're going through in your life at that moment. Well, I saw a movie and at the end of the movie, tears were streaming down my face. The movie was Rudy. And if you guys haven't seen that movie, you need to see that movie. An incredibly inspiring, true story of a short, unathletic college kid who wants to play at Notre Dame. And after rejection, after rejection, after rejection, three times, the fourth time he finally gets in to Notre Dame. And that's not a spoiler because you can look at the movie poster and you'll know that he's going to get in. As a matter of fact, the movie poster has an amazing line. It's something like, when someone tells you dreams don't come true, tell them about Rudy. And he gets in. And by the way, he was the first guest I ever had on my podcast, The Real Rudy Rudiger, which is an amazing episode to hear him not just tell his story, but hear him uh, appreciate the fact that his life story impacted me. And anyway, so after I see that movie, I'm inspired. And I sit down with one of my professors in college. This is, this is an incredible mentor. Mr. Lowell Tolstead was his name. He sits me down. Listen to what he says. He says to me, Saul. 
let me ask you a question. How many students out there want to work at Disney? And I said thousands and thousands, right? There was no DreamWorks, no Pixar. If you were in any art school and you had a dream of animation, it was Disney. I said thousands from around the world. And he says to me, can you control whether Disney says yes or no? I said, no. He says, can you control how good any of the other artists are? I'm like, no. He says, so what is it that's in your control? So I thought about it. And I said, well, I can control how good I am as an artist. He said, no, you can't. You think Michael Jordan could control that he become a great basketball player? No. He controlled one thing. He took 750 jump shots every single day before breakfast. My professor looked at me and said these words. The only thing you can control in your life is the investment you make, how hard you work. The outcome is not up to you. The only thing that's in our control is, are we going to work hard? What's the amount of effort, the amount of struggle, the amount of pain that I'm going to push through to achieve my dream? Then he told me to take out a piece of paper, and I did. He said, I want you to write down this phrase. And I wrote down the phrase that he told me, quote, Nobody worked harder today than me. He says, if you can't say that and it's true, you don't go to bed. Nobody worked harder today than me. Everybody listening right now, take a moment and realize that whatever goal you have, everyone else who has that goal is working harder than you. Every time you take pictures for Facebook or Instagram of what food you're eating, somebody else out there is not taking pictures of their food, and they are working hard at achieving that goal. If you really want to achieve a goal, and you can accomplish it, and I do believe that, guys. I believe everyone can accomplish these seemingly impossible goals. Always remember what my incredible mentor, Mr. Tolstead, said. We only have control over the investment we make. And write down that line. And if it's not true, you don't go to bed. Nobody worked harder today than me. And I wrote that down, put it up over my desk, and I worked insanely hard. I eat, sleep, and breathe drawing for weeks and weeks and weeks, months and months and months. That's it. I didn't go to any more movies. I went to the zoo. I drew animals all the time. I drew people at cafes and coffee shops. And I got my portfolio of figure drawing together because that's what Disney looks for. They don't want drawings of cartoon characters. If you want to work at Disney in animation, you have to be able to draw people and animals from life. And I sent that portfolio in. And a couple of weeks later, boom, I got it. That's excellent. Wow. <laughs> just so cool. I mean, it's it's so great to hear that again, that inspiration and the motivation that it takes to be able to pursue your dreams and pursue your passions. And that's what I love about not only the podcast, but also your career. And we're going to start to dive into more of the career side of the questions here. Vanessa, I know you have a question for Saul. I do. And I just have to address the elephant in the room, which is you have an amazing voice. I feel like your voice should always narrate trailers, uh, like movie trailers. You just have that deep voice. In a world. In a world. world. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, it's so good. Podcast, man. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. It's so perfect. My my kids do not always appreciate that voice. Just so. Oh, well. Well, that's because they're kids and they're your kids. kids. Right. But, and I, you know, and I abuse the voice too. Oh, you know, perfect. I come up behind them when they're eating dinner, you know, don't forget, clean your room. They're like, dad, stop. Go away. 
Get away. <laughs> well, that's so perfect because that's actually what I was going to talk to you about is uh, your voice acting. I know you've done a little bit of that and your and your kids, I think, have gotten into that too. So I just wanted to ask about that experience and, and also what it's like for you to see your kiddos kind of following your footsteps into the recording yeah. studio. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, when I was... Um... Let me let me think where this really goes back. I mean, as a kid, you know, when I would watch movies every time, even as an adult, anytime I watch a movie and the movie has any accent, any culture going on, I end up talking in that voice the rest of the day. And I'm not saying I do the accent well, but my wife is like, please stop. You know, we'll watch a movie and there's Russians. I'm like, honey, please pass, please pass the spaghetti. I need to do it. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, please pass the spaghetti. I need, she's like, stop, you know? So I do those voices constantly. And then as a director, when you're making an animated film, before you bring the actual voice cast in to record, like, let's say when we were making uh, Mulan, you know, they didn't bring Eddie Murphy in every day to record the voice for Mushu. So they do what's called temp voices, where you bring in local either actors or people in the studio to do the voices. You lay down those voices so you can edit the movie. And then you bring Eddie in like twice a year instead of every day. And I had always been interested in doing some voiceover. And during Mulan, uh, it's a true story, they posted auditions who was going to do the temp voice for different characters. So I auditioned and the directors, Tony Bancroft and Barry Cook, uh, liked me and they brought me in to do the temp voice of Sean Yu in Mulan. So for That's one great. year, yeah, I went in there. I'll give you guys one of the lines right now. Let's see if I remember. Oh yeah, here we go. A little girl will be missing her doll. We should return it to her. You remember? Here's another one. Here's Very another jealous. one. I love this one. Here we go. How many men does it take to deliver a message? One. Remember? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. So, right. So after doing that, by the way, not only did I love doing the voiceover, but I also knew from those experiences, by the way, that's what made me want to be a director. Because when I was in there with them, I didn't want to go back to my desk and draw anymore. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to wear all the hats and be a storyteller. Um, and I do today draw as a director and as a producer. I do draw all the time to communicate ideas. But because I took that step, I didn't have a dream to do voiceover. It was just something that interested me. Because I did that, it gave me more insight and clarity into how I wanted to grow in the profession that I love. And um, after doing voiceover for them, for all the movies that I would direct at Disney afterwards, I and my co-director, Elliot, uh, an incredibly talented director and animator and voiceover artist himself, we would do the voices back and forth for all the movies. So when we directed our first film, which was Winnie the Pooh, Springtime with Rue, so we would divide up the voices. And, uh, you know, I would do uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh, you know, I think I'll have a smackerel of honey and uh, Tigger <laughs> and Eeyore. Thanks for noticing me. And Piglet. Oh, da, 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 right. And uh, Rabbit. No, no, no. Pooh, do it like this. Get out of my garden. <laughs> right. And we would just do all the voices. Now, it's fun to do the voices. But what was really great about that is as filmmakers, we would feel the scene, write the dialogue with the writers so that when we did bring in the actors, we would better know what those scenes were because we felt it ourselves. And then to answer your other question, Vanessa, as a, as a parent, I did not have a dream to get my kids involved in this business at all. You know, one of the things my wife and I do is we try to nurture our kids to become who they are, not who we want them to be. 
right? There's a slight difference. That being said, when our son was uh, actually our daughter, Meira, when she was about three years old, we knew we noticed she just had a great texture in her voice and she sang all the time. Now, how do you know kids can do voiceover, especially when they can't read yet a script? If they can sing, if they can sing on key, that's a good sign because as a director, you'll give them lines and they have to be able to repeat those lines with the right tone. So if I give a line to a kid and the line is something like, but dad, when can we go? Well, that kid hears it as notes. And if they can hit those notes, so to speak, and do a line read back, then you know you have a kid that can do voiceover. So Meira, our oldest, when she was, I think, maybe four or five, she did a voice in Phineas and Ferb. She was one of the uh, fireside chat girls. And then our son, Asher, when he was six, we noticed he actually had a great voice, too, sent him in for auditions, and he got the part in Sony's huge movie, Hotel Transylvania 2. He's the voice of Dennis, the kid with the red hair. And then all of our other kids have done little voiceovers here and there. But what's fun is that as a dad, when I take them into these voiceover auditions, I'm just a dad. You know, the funny story I'll share with you guys is uh, on Toy Story 3 which was a couple of months before Phineas and Ferb, our oldest daughter, Meira, she was cast as Bonnie in Toy Story 3. Do you guys remember Toy Story 3? Big mm-hmm. movie. Sure did. Nominated for an Oscar, best picture, like crazy. Well, she goes in, and I'm just a dad, and I take her into the Disney Studios, the director's there, uh, Toy Story 3, and she got the part. And all she needed to do was repeat what he said, just like she did at home. And the director looks at her and says... I want you to say this line about witches. That was the first line it was. And she looks up to him and she says, no. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and he's like, well, we just want you to just try this line. She's like, no. And I go, uh, sir, can you hold on one second? I take her outside and I say to her, honey, you know, when we go to Target, you know, they have that one aisle that's all pink and purple, all that princess stuff that you like crave. I will buy you whatever you want in there. Because I'm thinking if she books Toy Story 3, that'll pay for her college, her wedding. You know, at least I can do is buy her a couple of Barbies on pony toys, whatever she wants. She goes, okay, dad. She goes back in. He says, all right, here's the line blah, 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 about witches. She goes, no. And that was oh, it for Toy Story man. 3. Oh, yeah. Oh, By the way, later on when she was older, I found out what she just didn't. She was scared of witches and didn't want to mention oh, witches. Oh. I wished I would known that he could have started with another line, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but um, look, that was it wasn't in the cards for her. She did Phineas and Ferb. Uh, but to this day, look, I love as a director, I love working with kids. On the show I'm on right now, I'm supervising producer on uh, a show at DreamWorks, Madagascar, A Little Wild. And we have one of the best kid casts uh, I've ever worked with, just incredible professionals, even some young, young kids who are just so, so talented. And when you find those magical kids, some of the best kids in history, if you think about it, you have, you know, Rue in the old Winnie the Pooh featurettes, or one of the greatest voiceovers ever is Thumper and Bambi. If you remember that little line oh, sure. that he, he talks about uh, eating the clover, the mom's like, what does your father always say? Eating greens is a special treat. It makes long ears and great big feet. But it sure is awful stuff to eat. I made that last part up myself. Or like Tantor and Tarzan. 
you know, he touches the water. I feel it's questionable, whatever, something, right? I live my life by that line, by the you way. You remember that? Yeah. Right? Is this water sanitary? Looks That's questionable it. to me. There That's you my go. life. Boom. Yeah. Vanessa nailed it word for word. <laughs> Vanessa, that was great. But Vanessa, okay. how great was that kid's performance, right? So great. So like great. that's when you find you find magic. Another one that's great is Mowgli from Jungle Book, who was the son of one of the animators or someone in the studio. And uh, he was just an incredible voice. So I love working with kids. And uh, when you find those kids with really great voices, it's it's really magic. It's such a it's such a fun age. I just had uh, my son just turned six, and you know that imagination that they have, and that just willingness to just be confident in themselves. It's just so cool. And I'll tell you, Saul, I know you're a great director because you have directed us immediately to Brett's first question about Winnie the Pooh. You did such a great job there without even knowing it. You're, that's how great of a director you, <laughs> you see, are. Brett, but, we're so on, in sync. Right man. there, right in sync. Yes. Yeah, you said it. that you'd moved to directing with Disney with Winnie the Pooh, Springtime for Rue, and Pooh's Heffalump Halloween movie. Did you feel safe knowing that your story and characters in your new movies were so beloved and that takes the pressure off? Or does that in fact give you heffalump inducing nightmares because you're responsible for the next story with these beloved characters? These You guys are asking the best questions I have ever been asked. I love you guys. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here all day. <laughs> Everybody who's listening, this is going to be an eight-hour podcast. Episode, okay? <laughs> These are phenomenal questions. So, Brett, Winnie the Pooh is definitely sacred material, right? These are sacred characters. And I grew up loving the featurettes from the 60s, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, all those, blustery day, incredible. And I'm telling you, when I and when Elliot and I got the job to direct that, and that was the first film that I directed at Disney, we really wanted to stay as true to the old classic featurettes as possible. So one of the first things we did is we actually went to what's called the Disney morgue. That's what they call it. And it's basically an archive of all the original animation drawings and paintings from Snow White on, even before Snow White. And as a director, filmmaker, you can call up, basically, you write, you fill out a form and you can have them have for you scenes or art ready for you, like in three days. And you go there and you sit there with white gloves on. And I, Brett, I see you shaking your head. I was the same way. Your oh heart is gosh. like, oh I know. Gosh. And so Elliot and I were like, well, we're doing Winnie the Pooh, so we want to see all these scenes and from Winnie the Pooh, Honey Tree, Winnie the Pooh flying up with the balloon. I'm just a little black rain clown, right? Remember all those drawings and all the paintings, those Winnie the Pooh paintings that are painted in that watercolor style, like the like the shepherd uh, drawings and paintings back in the day when A.A. A. Milne created the stories of Winnie the Pooh, which, of course, come from England. And just to hold those originals in our hand and then with our team to digitally create a look that was reminiscent of that hand-painted style was not so simple, but we really wanted to be true to it. By the way, I also brought up while I was there some of the drawings that I always dreamed to see in person, which was Glenn Keane's drawings of the beast turning into the man at the end. Oh, Those wow. are some of the most incredible drawings, and I'm just getting goosebumps right now sure, thinking of it. <laughs> right? And, and I just, didn't see them, but... Yeah, right, I, but you, I but you can imagine. You can Absolutely. imagine. Yeah, and just some of those scenes from Aladdin also that we just love. I just wanted to see some of those Glenn Keen. If those who don't know, Glenn Keen is the greatest, one of the greatest Disney animators that ever lived. He animated and designed the beast 
The Little Mermaid, Tarzan, Aladdin, Pocahontas. These are some of his characters. I think you've heard of them. Like, he's amazing. So, but, but back to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, we really wanted to stay as true to those that style as possible. And one of the, the big thrills for us was working with, out of all the actors that we worked with, we got to work with the voice of Piglet. John Fiedler was his name. And he was the original voice of Piglet back in the 60s. And we got to work with him right before he died oh. uh, on, uh, on, on Winnie the Pooh. He did Piglet for us. And I'll tell you one other quick thing. One of the greatest Disney voiceover actors ever was Sterling Holloway. Sterling Holloway mm-hmm. did, uh, you know, Cheshire Cat. He did uh, Ka from Jungle Book, you know, Man Cub. You remember the voice? And he also did Winnie the Pooh. And we love that voice. And when we walked into the studio, obviously Sterling Holloway, no longer alive, we were working with an actor that we had never heard of named Jim Cummings. Oh, yeah. So he comes in and we're like, uh, how's anybody going to be as good as Sterling Holloway? Well, I'm not kidding. Jim Cummings, not only was he as good, he was better. He was amazing. We fell in love with him. He does the voice for not only Winnie the Pooh, but Tigger also. He does both of those. He also does Pete from Mickey Mouse. Minnie. He does that guy. He does Ray the Firefly from Princess and the Frog. He does more characters than you can even imagine. He also sings. He sang Be Prepared in The Lion King. Jeremy Irons did not sing that. That was actually Jim Cummings. And Jim Cummings was such an incredibly brilliant voiceover actor. And I'll share one quick story. He came in one day and the script said, Tigger gasps, right? It just says Tigger gasps. All we wanted him to do was go, <gasps> you know, but Jim being Jim, he gets to the line and he goes, gasp. <laughs> <laughs> so he says the word. So he, he cracks us up just like you all left and uh, we left it in the movie. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Oh gosh, that's so perfect. And uh, Saul, so I... Uh, clearly, of the three of us, I am the the podcast guy. And what I love uh, listening back to other episodes of Life of, of Awesome is what you do is you talk about this idea of just needing to go for it. And that's actually similar advice. We had gotten that advice from Kevin Lima a long time ago, actually at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's sort of where we started to do more of these interviews and reach out to people and and just say, you know, they can tell us no, but you know what, we're going to go for it. We're going to try and see if we can have these conversations. And so I didn't know if in your directing, producing, animating career, if you have a particular story of some time that you just went for it and you just didn't really take no for an answer, you just did it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Get ready. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Are you guys ready for this? Ready. All right. So (laughs) let's go to Winnie the Pooh Halloween. Okay. Winnie the Halloween, which you brought up before, Brett. So in that movie, that movie was a fast and furious movie. I mean, they're always that way. Production's always fast and furious. But for that movie specifically, the movie, Disney came to us and they said, well, we already have this 12-minute animated show that we made for Winnie the Pooh in the 80s, in the early 80s. We want to reuse that. This is how Disney was back then. They were thinking this way. Can you write a movie around that? Just make that a flashback? See, that would save them money, right? So we were like, well, well we can do anything. Come on. What are you talking about? We're your golden directors. This is me and Elliot. We were a partnership. So we write this story around them, and we going really fast and furious. And we get to the end of production. And music, uh, we had the idea that there was this one melody that we liked in the music, the score, that we thought it would be great to make a song for the end title credits. 
So we say, we say that to music and they go, okay, good. And they come back to us two weeks later with the final mix of the track, the song. And it's the lead singer from the band Toto. You all remember Toto from Africa, great song, and lots of other great stuff. And I love Toto growing up. And so me and Elliot, the other director, in the room with the music department, we're all there. And they're playing us the song. And just so you know, when you're listening to the music for the end titles, you are at the end of your movie. Okay? So we basically have just a couple of days left on this movie. Maybe a week or two just to post it and edit the mix. And that's it. So we're in there. And they hit play. And we're excited to hear it. And I don't love it. I just didn't love it. And I'm like tapping the director, Elliot, next to me. We were directing together, my buddy. And he's like, no, don't, no, don't say anything. Just, it's fine. Just let's move on. And I'm like, dude, I can't. I don't like this. I'm whispering to him. I I can't. And he's like, no, don't. And at the end, the lights come back on. Like, what did you think? And I'm like, don't love it. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And he's like sighing in his head. In his head. And I said, look, the truth is, it, I, while I love his voice and all that, it doesn't have the youthful sound that I'm looking for. And they said, do you have any suggestions? And I said, actually, I do. So get ready. I grew up loving the show Blossom. And on that show was one of my favorites, Joey Lawrence. You remember Joey? Whoa, right? Right. And I actually had uh, a Joey Lawrence CD in my car because he also sings and had an album that I loved in the 90s. And that's one of the things I do is I hold on to music from the 90s. So I'm like, well, I actually have a Joey Lawrence CD in my car. I think Joey Lawrence would be great. And everybody goes, he sings? I'm like, yeah, he's really good. So they're like, okay, they're like, okay, well, look, we got to record it tomorrow. Do you think he'll do it? I'm like, you got to go for it. Cause you said, wow. Craig, right. You got to go for it. Yeah. Now look, he's Joey Lawrence, right? He wasn't like lead singer of NSYNC at the time. He wasn't this big megastar, but he is Joey Lawrence. He is a credible actor, talented guy. And the big go for it here wasn't to see if we could get Joey. It's, is it going to work? Because they basically, the music department said, we're going to get him. But if you don't like it, that's it. We get one shot. Are you sure? I'm like, yeah. So she calls me back an hour later. She goes, we spoke to Joey's agent. He's in. He comes to the studio the next day and boom, he lays down the track and it's magic. And there's one note in there where he has to do this falsetto, this little falsetto moment. And everyone, we don't know if he can do it or not. And he gets to that moment and it's like, when the music starts, it will fill our hearts. As long as I'm here with you. It's like beautiful. It's like butter. Smooth, amazing. He was great. And that's the song we played uh, for the end credits in the movie. That's awesome. Wow. It's, a, it's so great that, that you get that opportunity and that you are able to then bring that experience to the audience and also to yourself. I mean, this is someone that you enjoyed and you get to work with them at that point oh, yeah. to some extent. So it's just, it's just excellent. That, and again, you know, Craig, I brought idea. him back. I brought Joey back again at DreamWorks this year to do another song for me. So now I think we're going to go to a question from Vanessa about your work with the different studios. 
Yeah. You know, it's so fitting that you're talking about your creative freedom because we'd like you to kind of take us behind the scenes and give us a look into what it's like working with the different studios that you've worked with, you know, Disney and Netflix. Netflix has been really good from what we heard of letting people have that creative freedom and kind of doing what they want. And then Disney, of course, is just so massively successful. So can you talk to us about the similarities and maybe some of the differences between uh, maybe those two studios? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent question, Vanessa. Look, the thing that made me want to work in animation and filmmaking was The Little Mermaid. When I saw that movie, that's what did it. Uh, I saw that movie in the theater. I remember tapping my mom and I'm like, mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she's like, what, you want to fall in love with a fish? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I want to work at Disney. I mean, I got into filmmaking. I mean, I, the movie that actually made me want to be a filmmaker at all was the movie E.T. I was 11 years old. I saw that movie in the theater. That's what made me, and I grew up in New York, so I didn't know any filmmakers. I didn't even know that was a, something that you could do. I just knew that when I looked up to the screen, I, that's what made me want, I was pulled into it. I got a film camera, kids in the neighborhood. I started making movies and I never looked back. E.T. made me want to go into movies and Little Mermaid made me want to go into animation because that combined my passion for filmmaking, my passion for drawing animation and The Little Mermaid, Glenn Keane's animation of Ariel, literally during the song Part of Your World. Jody Benson, uh, who I also had on my podcast, an incredible, amazing story. When she sang Part of Your World, there was one line in there where she says, What's a fire and why does it, what's the word, burn? And when she says burn, any other animator, let's say not Glenn, probably would have had her looking at the screen, looking at the camera, what's the word, burn? Just saying it, just saying it, looking at the camera. Or maybe she acts out burning her hand on fire or whatever. But what he did was so powerful. If you watch the movie, Ariel takes her hands, puts it ac across her chest as if to like hug herself, closes her eyes, pushes her chest out. And when she says the word burn, it's every fiber of her being. It's not a story of a girl that wants to just investigate how humans live. She wants to understand the world. There's a fire inside her that she wants to motivate herself to find out about life and find out how she fits into it. And I remember watching the screen and thinking, that's how I feel. I think that's how we all feel, you know, and that kind of a performance is what separated what I thought was Disney animation from everyone else at the time. And that made me want to be not an animator, but Disney. It was a Disney animator. And I was set on Disney. And thank God I did work there for 12 years and had the most incredible time. By the way, the very first job I ever had at Disney was selling ice cream on the Disney college program, uh, summer 92, which was still to this day, one of the best jobs I ever had. Cause I just love the company and I love the values that the company stands for. So after I left Disney, I went to work at MTV and I did not see those values there. You know, I did not see that quality there. And then, you know, I was always a little hesitant as other jobs that I took. I will say that working for Netflix was great. And you were absolutely right, Vanessa. You're, you're incredibly right. Netflix is very much hands off for the most part. They let the creators and the filmmakers make the show make the movie that they want to make, which is a great thing, but it's a blessing and a curse either way. I like to get notes from executives. I like them to challenge me and our team to make sure the story is tight. So I guess there's an advantage in both, but Disney does have a hierarchy of lots of notes, lots of executives, lots of eyes on your project. But at the same time, you also get a lot behind it. You'll get a lot in the marketing. They're really going to push it, you know? So I, just uh, working though for those companies, I guess for me, I'm, I'm always going to have my heart in Disney 
because those are, like I said, those are the values that that's the family brand that I subscribe to also as a parent. But DreamWorks has been wonderful. Also, I've been at DreamWorks now uh, about three years. And it's been an incredible uh, journey. Very much great executives, very much a studio that, you know, also just the culture of working in a studio. You know, I said to DreamWorks the first day when they offered me the job as a producer, I said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll consider this, but you need to know that I will never work on a show where there's any bullying. I won't tolerate any bullying. So when I see that, a lot of your listeners are like, what are you talking about? Well, it, it's a workplace, right? So sometimes you have bosses that are, that it can be cruel or that, that, you know, berate people that work underneath them. And one of the things in the culture that me and the other producers on the show at Madagascar, uh, which is I'm producing now, that we try and, uh, and create as leadership on our team is we want an environment where everyone will feel empowered and respected and appreciated. That is first and foremost, the goal of any production that I work on. And that's something that DreamWorks really, really grabbed onto and they really appreciated because they try to do the same. So DreamWorks has been a wonderful experience right now. The show I'm on now is going to be over in March and uh, I'll be meeting with Disney and Netflix and Apple to see what my next job is going to be. So, um, you know, we'll do another podcast follow-up. And if I, if I work at Apple, you never know, we'll see what that experience is like, but I can tell you that as a filmmaker now, I, I only will work for companies whose values I subscribe to. Yeah, that's so that's great, so great that mm-hmm. taking that like personal uh, mission and responsibility as well in your career, Brett, I know uh, you've been burning to say uh, some questions and I will say, by the way, listening to the Jody Benson interview on life of awesome, you are doing a terrific job of underselling your interview with her. It is awesome. And you get to, you, you got her to sing, you got her to sing on your podcast, which is just incredible. So uh, our listeners definitely need to go and, and yeah. check that out for sure. But Brett, you you have some questions about Kronk. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got to tell you that I love the Emperor's New Groove and, of course, Kronk's New Groove, too. The <laughs> cast was amazing, and you have everyone back. And, okay, I've got to ask, because this is, you know, a Disney podcast, and we are contractually obligated to ask questions. Um, but I have to ask about Patrick Warburton. It seems that his voice, and, and, and he is all over the Disney parks and Star Tours and Soren, but he has done a huge number yeah, of yeah. Disney on-screen and voice acting roles as well. Now, I've just got to ask i know a job is a job but is i'm really hoping is he a big disney geek too he is wonderful oh, good. he is such a disney <laughs> i just want to know you know so. and, and you can check out my episode i interviewed him as well on my podcast oh cool and, and, and what he mentions in there is his love of going to the disney parks growing up watching disney movies he loves Disneyland, oh. loves it, grew up there, took his kids there all the time. Such a Disney geek and was so proud to be part of the Disney legacy. And for those of you who don't know, Kronk, uh, you know, Patrick does the voice for Kronk. He's also Putty from Seinfeld, but Kronk is like, uh, yeah, Kronk, uh, <laughs> that guy. So he's, uh, and he, he, I brought him back on Madagascar also. We had a great character and I, we really wrote the character for him. I love working with him. I work with him as much as I can. He's the sweetest guy. Big Disney nerd, big Disney. And he's a big goofball. He's a big kid. I remember going to a barbecue years ago at his home and he had like Disneyland as a home, not like Michael Jackson Disneyland where he recreated Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't right. mean that, but he had like an environment that was like trampolines and 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 uh, rope swings and all this stuff that kids would love. And he's just a big kid at heart and, and great to work with. 
Wow. Well, that's great. And the other the other question I have to ask. Okay. I'm thinking we we could do a whole podcast about Eartha Kitt as Isma, but but yeah. what is it like to work with her and her song oh, wow. Feel Like a Million is just amazing. I yeah. mean, to watch oh, her oh, record yeah. must be an amazing memory. What was Oh like my gosh. I can't with? believe you're even bringing this up. This is you I don't know how you guys are jumping into my head and you're asking ah. the greatest <laughs> questions that no one ever asked. I love this. So Eartha Kitt <laughs> was a huge huge like idol to me i mean she was in a movie that most people have never heard of called saint louis blues if you can find the movie you're lucky it stars nat king cole playing wc handy it's the true story of wc handy and nat king cole plays wc handy who grew up in the south and his father was a minister didn't want him playing any jazz thought it was the devil's music and it's, it's basically it's like the jazz singer it's very similar in that way and eartha kitt plays this incredible singer who's a mentor to him and encourages him to find his dream and i've always loved this movie i actually bought this movie on dvd years ago for i think over a hundred dollars now this is before you could probably find it on youtube now incredible movie and i loved it so and of course she was you know in the old batman tv series and many other things that we've loved her in and so we go to New York just to record her. And that was one of the best moments of my life. First of all, I just land in New York and I'm staying at this incredible hotel. And I go up to the hotel and this was like the biggest movie I directed at the time. And I get to this hotel and I remember they had one of those remote controls that does the whole curtain. It was looking up over Park Avenue or, or the whole Central Park. And that whole curtain opened up. And I remember it took like five minutes for that curtain to open because it, the window was so big. And I remember staring out there going, how did I get here? How did I get so lucky that this kid from New York that loved to draw gets to live his dream as a filmmaker on a Disney movie with Eartha Kitt recording the next day? Like it was one of those moments where I stopped and appreciated where I was. And that's something I want all your listeners to get. You know, as you accomplish in your life, whatever it is, make sure you stop for a moment and appreciate it. And enjoy the moments that you've worked so hard to achieve. But the next day, going in to record Eartha was so memorable. She was so delightful. But a quick story. When we got to that song, Brett, that you brought up, she wasn't hitting that song out of the park. It was a little flat. And her manager can hear me and Elliot, the other director, talking because Eartha's in the booth there. And we're talking. We're like, it's just sounding flat. And the manager comes up to us and she says, I got an idea. Why don't the two of you go into the booth with her? And we're like, really? And she goes, my mom, it's her, it was her daughter. Her daughter's name is Kit. So that's right. Her name is Kit Kit, in case you're wondering. <laughs> her daughter basically said, my mom loves to perform in person. She loves to perform. Go in there and be her audience. So we went in there set up two chairs. It wasn't even a big booth. And she sang to us, performed it like one of her cabaret shows, came alive, and you get that incredible performance of an amazing song written by Janine Sassori, who's an incredibly uh, talented Broadway writer and songwriter. She's amazing. And it was one of the best uh, moments of my life to work oh, with, to work with Eartha. Wow. Yeah. The late and great Eartha kid. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. Wow. That's a great story. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Yeah. Oh, I have one more. Okay. I have one more question. And, and this is, uh, okay. I, Tony Basil has a choreography credit and yes, of course I stayed to the end. 
uh, it's so interesting. I have to watch all of the all of the credits too. But was her? Did she do a reference video, or was that motion capture, or how does that work? Wow, you know, you're bringing me back. I didn't even remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we did uh, reference video. That's how we really do it in animation. We bring in choreographers to dance. You know, I was a director on the show Doc McStuffins. Mm-hmm. which was a big Disney show. One of my son's favorites, by the way. There you go. There you go. I love hearing that. And, and the episode where Doc and Winnie the Pooh combine, that was like the multiverse for my oh. son. He was just like, what is this? This is so cool. Yeah, I, did, I didn't do that one, but that was a great one. Yeah, yeah. That, that show was really a wonderful show. I was really fortunate to be a director on that show, uh, created by Chris Nee, great show creator, showrunner. And in that show... For the for half of the episodes that I directed, we didn't have a choreographer, so I became the choreographer. So, uh, you know, look, I'm not a choreographer, but I definitely love dancing and I've studied musicals my whole life. Uh, that's one of the things I do at DreamWorks as a producer today. One of the responsibilities I have on the shows and the projects that I work on is I oversee uh, a lot of the music and where the songs fit in and the choreography and working with the choreographer. And I'm just a huge Gene Kelly fan and Michael Jackson and Fred Astaire and uh, you, you name it, Fosse. I mean, all kinds of incredible dance out there to pull from, to be inspired by. And in Doc McStuffins, I choreographed those first 20-something episodes. And then we brought in uh, a choreographer. And now at DreamWorks, I've used the same choreographer. Heath Butler is her name. And she's amazing. And, you know, whatever the genre of dance that we do, we go into a room. I set up a couple of video cameras and we spend our time dancing together. And we will also cast often different dancers for different characters. So in the show that I'm doing now, Madagascar, A Little Wild, which is on Hulu and Peacock, please watch, plug, plug. In that show, for Marty and Gloria and Melman, right, and all the characters, we have different people that we cast to do the choreography. For Alex, the lion, he's so charismatic and smooth, so I wanted that to be very much like Gene Kelly. For uh, Melman, I wanted some, you know, with a very long neck, I wanted someone that was tall and a little lankier, and we got a little more of a goofy expression. For Gloria, we wanted like a hip-hop and a ballet. We brought in someone that was an expert in hip-hop and ballet, Miranda Wilkins, who's a great dancer out there. You can see her on Instagram, although I think she just changed her last name. She got married, but she's got incredible followers and amazing dancer. Um, so, yeah, we always cast our dancers to be the, the right moves for the characters. And if you, anytime you're watching a great animated movie, whenever you see real dance going on, there's always real choreographers behind it. Wow, that's good to know. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and you know, I, I I love that you even in your questions about Kronk, you try to instill some of those life lessons as well. I'm actually a, a college advisor by day, and talking to students about their passions and their future careers, and like watching that light bulb that goes off when you say you just have to take a moment and not look forward as much as sit in the present and understand that what you're doing, what you're achieving, means something and is special. That the the accomplishments that you have, so I really do appreciate that outlook in life as well. We also know you're a huge Disney nerd, so Vanessa, we're gonna get some of your rapid fire questions in here. Yes, I love it. I love so it. So you can answer as quickly or as long as you would like, um, and just maybe the first things that come to mind. And if there's if you're having a moral dilemma where you can't just pick one, feel free to throw in a couple options. But uh, here it. we go. Rapid fire. Favorite Disney film. 
favorite Disney film, the old film Cinderella. Can I tell you why quick or we don't have time? Yeah. For that? Yeah. No, go ahead. The, Cinderella is my favorite of all the old ones. There's a great moment in that movie where Cinderella just had the most incredible night of her life. She's sitting on the road. There's a shattered pumpkin around her. She's in rags. And yet she takes out a gift, a glass slipper. She has one. The other one she left there. And she wasn't supposed to have that glass slipper. Remember, this fairy godmother said everything will return as it was. Well, that's not actually true because she's holding a glass slipper. And at that moment, you would think the rest of the movie would be about her trying to get back to the palace. And how can I get my back? She doesn't try to go back. She had the experience. She holds the slipper. She looks up to the stars and she says the words, thank you for everything. I love that movie because in that moment, she embodies gratitude, appreciating what she just experienced. And that's the kind of message that I want to give my kids. That's the message I want to give myself. I want to remind myself, have gratitude. It's what we were just talking about a moment ago, Craig, right? Having gratitude for those moments that we have in life. And Cinderella, it's just the most beautiful music She's the most incredible character. You feel for her so much. And there's that incredible scene when the stepmother like sees that Cinderella has the slipper and the stepmother makes that expression. Her eyes open up that, and it's like she's busted. I love that moment. And it's just that movie, the art direction, Mary Blair, the art director and all the design, the layout, all of it. It's just pure perfection. But as far as the newer movies, to me, there's really only one, uh, and that's Lion King. Lion King mm-hmm. just has the gravitas to it. The music is incredible. The story is wonderful. And it has a great message. Uh, the movie The Lion King really is the message that I try to bring out whenever I travel and speak or in my podcast, which is all about life is not about Hakuna Matata. It's not about just living and eating the greatest food and sitting in a jacuzzi and hanging out doing nothing. Life is about taking responsibility for the world. That's what that movie is about. You know, in the beginning, Simba says to his dad, you know, I want to do this if I'm a king and that I just can't wait to be king. And his father says, Simba, there's more to being a king than getting your way all the time. Simba's like, there's more. He thinks being a king means I can do whatever I want. And he ends up learning that true greatness is about taking responsibility at the end of the movie when Simba climbs Pride Rock and that rain is pouring down and you hear that music. And he's walking up there. It's an incredible moment. And Lion King becomes the biggest animated movie in the world, BF, before Frozen. Yes. And, not, and not because we love movies about lions, but because we sing a taste of what we want out of life. We want that greatness in life. And Lion King shares with us, greatness is taking responsibility for the world. Boom. Wow. Yeah. Lion these King. are, these are like, uh, <laughs> like mic drop answers all there around. You go. Vanessa, there you your go. next Maybe rapid fire. I'll try to do the next one quicker, answer. Vanessa. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, Vanessa, no, Vanessa try, try it again just for fun, just to see if I could have done it. Say, what's your favorite anime? Uh, what's your favorite Disney film? Oh, Cinderella and Lion King. <laughs> See, you good. got it right. Not as good. Not as fun. Better the way Not before. Not as fun. <laughs> the way before. Well, let's see what else we got here. Uh, let's see. Favorite Disney park? Oh man, Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom is my favorite only because look, I grew up in New York and that's the one that I grew up going to. Uh-huh. And, but to me, like even when we take our kids, if we go to Disney World or if we go to Disneyland or California Adventure, 
just so everyone knows, Disneyland and California Adventure are two different parks. Um, mm-hmm. Disney, Brett knows what I'm talking about. Brett knows what I mean. But here's the thing. You have to remember where it started. You know, Walt Disney always said it all started with a mouse. You know, you got, you got to, you know, every time you guys will love this. Every time we get to Disney, no matter what park we're going to, when we get out of the car, before we get out, we open the doors and we play out loud the Walt Disney recording of his dedication to Disneyland. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past. And here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America with the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. Thank you. Before we do the day, Brett, I knew you would love that. We play that. We play that 30 second thing that he read out loud. You can go find it on YouTube. And then we go have the best day because I want the kids to know this isn't just about rides. This is about values. Those values that built America. As a matter of fact, a great quick story. Do I have time for one story, guys? Of course you do. Check out the story, you guys. You guys, this is a game changing story. Okay. So sit back. You Disney fans, get ready. You're going to love this. If you have haven't heard this story. Walt Disney, when he was designing Disneyland, one day he went into the investors and he puts the giant plans out on the table. It's a true story. And he's showing them the plans of the park. And one of the investors says, wait a minute, I thought you said there was a roller coaster. The Matterhorn, where is it? He's like, yeah, yeah, we have it back here. And the investor goes, but why don't you put it over here so that when people walk in, they see the best ride. And Walt says, no, 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 I got something better. Main Street, USA. And the guy's like, is there a ride? He's like, no, 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 no. There's a penny arcade. There's an ice cream shop, a magic shop, a barbershop quartet. The guy's like, I don't understand. I thought you said this is all about rides. He goes, no, no, no. And by the way, just so everyone knows, Walt Disney created the very first theme park in existence. Before that, they were called amusement parks. And a theme, what's the difference? Story. Walt wanted to share a story with us. And he said, the greatest story that I want people to experience is not the Matterhorn and it's not Sp- not Space Mountain. It's not Jungle Cruise. It's not, it's the American adventure. It's the story of our own lives. When you walk into any Disney park, I don't care how many times you've been there, when you walk into a park that has a castle in it and you walk around that bend and you see that castle you get goosebumps and you're there with your kids or with your spouse or your friends whoever you're that you get that moment and then you walk together down main street you'll see so often families will get into there they'll be like oh i want to go on this ride one kid's like i want to go there and they split up but you know what you may split up but you're going to walk down that street together with your friends, with your family. And there's that feeling. And Walt loved that Norman Rockwell-esque time from the 40s and 50s, showing the best of what those American values really are. And it's amazing when you walk out of a Disney park, you know, if you're a parent, you know what I mean? Your kids are exhausted. They're in the stroller. They've got ice cream dripping down their arm. The fireworks are going. And you don't run out of a Disney park. You walk out down Main Street so slow. You're enjoying the smells, the sounds. There's the nostalgia. You don't get that at Universal Studios. No one walks into Universal Studios is like, wow, I, I love walking by this Jaws ride. Or I love walking by the Illumination Despicable Me ride. There's such a nostalgia. No, you're just like, I want to go on The Simpsons. I want to go on this. But Disney is different. And Walt knew that. And when he created that park, that's what he wanted us to have. So while Magic Kingdom 
and Disneyland. Those are the two parks that really embody those values that Walt wanted to uh, to share with all of us. And I urge all of you, if you haven't, go check out Walt Disney's dedication. Uh, listen to it every time you go to the park. Have a moment where you appreciate what he did, that he was the first to, to ever do anything like that. And try to bring those values into the experience that you share that day at the parks. That's great. Yeah. Vanessa, try yeah. that again. Just a quick saying, what's your favorite? Uh, yeah, what's your favorite Disney park? Oh, Magic Kingdom. Yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's much better. It's much better how you did the first we time. Like I, the I, I love it. Okay, okay, yes. good. I, I do think, Vanessa, you had one more rapid I, fire and then we'll start to wrap it up. Just one okay. more favorite attraction. Favorite attraction. Favorite attraction, Peter Pan. Boom. Oh, I had my first that's... kiss. I had my first kiss with my wife on that ride. Oh. You know, because we were out there, we were like holding hands, we were dating, right? And I, we weren't at that point yet. The kiss was happening, you know? And we go on that ride. I'm like, you know, this is perfect. It's, it's kind of dark in here. You know, what happens at Peter Pan stays at, Peter, at Neverland, you know? And you only so, have about two and a half minutes, so it's got to That's right. Going. So we had our first kiss on, on Peter Pan. But even now, every time we go to the park, our kids know. Whatever it is, we go right to Peter Pan. We go on that ride first. And my wife and I always sneak a kiss, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's still my favorite ride. That's yeah. so that's so great. Uh, my son would not fall asleep unless you played You Can Fly. So that has become uh, such an important ride for me as well. Um, oh, yeah. Saul, it, it's been incredible to get to speak to you today. And thank you for the creativity and the art that you put out into the world because we get to consume that. And uh, you've just been so inspirational, not only in your work, but also in your podcast, Life of Awesome. You know, we'd like to ask creative people one final question as we start to uh, wrap up and sign off. And that is that you get to do some of these interviews all the time. And uh, we hope that we have researched and brought you some questions that you didn't get before. But is there a final message or a question or some kind of story that you're not often asked about that you always want to share, but don't get the opportunity to share uh, that you wanted to close us out with? Even though Magic Kingdom is my favorite of the parks, only because I grew up on, the, on that coast and I went there way before I ever went to Disneyland. But Disney MGM Studios has another real, real love for me because I was on the college program selling ice cream there. And because that was the studio, I went there the second year it was open. And, I, and that's where they had the animation tour where you could look through the glass. We used to call it the fishbowl. And eventually I worked there uh, when I was working on Pocahontas. I worked in that animation studio and people would walk by all day. But I want to tell you guys, when I was selling ice cream at Disney at the MGM Studios, whenever they would put my ice cream cart on Hollywood Boulevard, it's the main street of Disney MGM Studios. And I had people, guests in front of me that I was serving ice cream to. They played this background music. At Disney, we call it BGM. Okay, I'm sure Brett knows. I see Brett has the D23 Expo poster. Yeah. He knows this stuff. I know it. So because they had that BGM playing, whenever the BGM music got to the Gone with the Wind theme, no matter who was in line with me, what I was doing at that moment, I would just stop. And I would, I would just look around and go, I can't believe where I am. I can't believe I'm here. So that studio also has a great love for me. And then eventually one day, I worked there as an animator, and there's this green arch. It used to say MGM. I think it just says Hollywood Studios now. It's this green big square arch that you walk through to get to one part of the park. And on the right is a sculpture of uh, – actually, around the whole arch is sculptures of movie making. But on the right side, 
there's part of sculpted out of the clay in this relief. There's an animator at his desk. And every day when I was selling ice cream, I would walk through that arch. I would, t- I would touch the guy's head as like this thing. Like someday I'm going to be here as an animator. Mm-hmm. And I would touch it every – I would never walk through that arch ever without touching that. And then cut to years later, I get hired by Disney as an animator on Pocahontas. And every time me and my friends would walk around the parks, which was every day and every week, and you just run around Disney World, every time I ever walked through there – I would touch that, that same head. And how awesome was it for me years later to take my four kids and with my wife, who my wife was also at the Disney college program. She was a, a tour guide on the great movie ride, uh, which was, is now no longer there. Uh, what a great attraction. She was one of the tour guides on that. And she did the whole spiel of the bandit and the West. It was amazing. <laughs> but to take my kids there and tell, and then show them that a daddy used to touch this head and they all touched it like, wow. And I said, no, 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 that was daddy's dream. You got to find your dream, mm-hmm. but you find your dream and you protect it and you work at it and you'll have it. You know, when I, uh, when I was in college, I got an art book called The Disney Animation Illusion of Life, written by Frank and Holly. And I bought this book for myself. It was 40-something dollars, and I didn't have any money. And I literally took a week of my food money to buy this book, and I ate ketchup and relish. My kids know the story. They literally ate ketchup and relish and whatever fries my friends didn't eat for a week. That was my food money. And I bought this book, and inside the book, I wrote to myself, the words, good luck. And I drew a little Mickey Mouse in there. because That was my book to myself, to learn animation, to go for my dream. And I just wanted to share one final thing with all of you guys listening. You know, I told you earlier that Glenn Keane was my favorite Disney animator that ever lived. And when I was in college, I found out that Glenn used a certain pencil to draw with. And I thought, you know, if I could get the pencil that Glenn Keane draws with, it'll elevate my drawings to his level. And eventually I found out that he used a certain pencil that was discontinued, couldn't buy it anymore. He had bought all the last boxes of these pencils. No one else could ever get it. Years later, when I did work on Pocahontas and I was called into his office, he was teaching me how to draw Pocahontas. And I saw the pencil in his hand and he could tell I was enamored by it. And he's like, what? I'm like, that's the pencil. Wow. And he's like, yeah, that's the pencil. I'm like, can I hold that? He's like, yeah. And to me, guys, it's like Michelangelo's paintbrush, right? This is like, if someone creates something incredible, then the tools that they use to create it take on a whole new meaning. So I'm holding the Glen Keane pencil that has like teeth marks, half used from Pocahontas. And he takes the pencil out of my hand and he says, Saul, it is not the pencil that makes the animator. He says, when I started at Disney and the Disney nine old men, Frank and Ollie and Milt and Ward Kimball and all these, Mark Davis, all these incredible animators that created the greatest animation. He goes, they taught me two words. I edit that. I wrote them on my desk and I want you to have them. And he pointed to his desk to two words, be sincere. He says, you know what makes the animator? Sincerity. If you don't feel it, they won't feel it. And that is the message I want to deliver to all the people listening today. You have to be sincere with whatever it is you're doing in life, whether you're working on yourself being a parent, be a sincere dad, a sincere mom, your marriage, a relationship, be sincere, be real, put yourself out there in your career have sincerity, because then if you have sincerity in what you do, it will penetrate the hearts of everyone that's lucky enough to know you. Glenn Keane, oh. be sincere. Wow. Yeah. wow, wow, wow. Saul, can you be my dad? Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Saul. It's just been uh, incredible to get to talk to you today. 
Yeah, you guys too. It's it's really wonderful to meet you guys, and uh, it's really the, a thrill. It, and, and I hope you know this. Really, I mean this completely. It's a thrill for me to meet the three of you. Wow, that was so inspiring to hear Saul uh, talk about his career, and he's just so motivational and positive in his outlook on life, but then also uh, in his responses to the questions that we gave to him. I could talk to him for hours, so Brett, your thoughts? Oh my gosh, well, you know, what I thought was just going to be, oh, let's find out about Kronk, you know, turned into life lessons and such, you know, I mean, I'm a positive person, you know, and I'm... Uh, and I'm like going, I was inspired. So I was inspired by his positivity and and his wonderful attitude. Because that's going to get me through the holidays. Hey. And maybe through all of 2022, because he just gives us so many uh, like mic drop answers to questions that we had posed to him. Vanessa, what did you think about the interview with Saul? Oh, I am was thrilled. I think he is so fun. And yes, he's inspirational. He's positive. And, and he's very thoughtful about what we're asking him you know sometimes I feel like so it'd be so easy to just give us a quick answer or you know be like oh I always get that question and and give us some short answer but, we but don't he's, do those <laughs> we don't do that well we do say you know what's your favorite attraction yeah, right. what's your favorite yeah, part you know and he could have very easily just given us like a one word answer and some people have and that's fine but he really listens and tries to give us a very thoughtful answer and i i very much appreciate that and and there was so many little nuggets of wisdom i will tell you i don't know if you saw my face but i uh oh my I, my my heart burst into confetti when he did like a piglet impression and he was doing the whole show oh my god he was doing the whole show it was amazing it was my one regret from this interview i did not ask him to do the voice of king julian from madagascar can you imagine if he was like I like to move it, move it. Oh my God. <laughs> I would have died. I would have been on any more podcasts because I'd just be dead. It would be so hilarious. Next time I'm I'm gonna ask Saul to, if he if he ever does that voice while he's doing movies. I have to say I really enjoyed how he had a story with every question that we asked. And you could tell like no wonder his kids have gotten into voice acting because I'm sure that story time with dad at bedtime is just incredible to listen to all of these characters come to life as well. And I love that he was able to not only give us stories, but also connect them to those life lessons. And that is what makes such a great and powerful storyteller. It's clear why he's now moved into the production and direction side of the business because he truly, I could see his vision laid out, even in the answers that he was giving to us. And dare I say, I think we've made a new Disney friend. So Saul, if you're listening back to this, it was just such a pleasure having you on. And thank you to your wife as well, Marion, for uh, introducing the two of us. We actually connected through social media and that's sort of how we were able to get this interview uh, set up. And it just was an absolute treat. It was such a wonderful 45 minutes, an hour, whatever we had with you. And we would love to have eight more with you. So please, <laughs> Uh, feel free to come back at any time. He mentioned he might be working for Apple TV in the not too distant future as well, because I know they are also diving into a lot of animation. So who knows what studio he will be uh, working at in the future, but we'd love to hear about all those projects coming up. Any final thoughts as we start to get out of here, Vanessa? 
Oh, you've picked the wrong moment to come to me because I have to tell you, while you're talking, the only thing I have going on in my head is I like to move it, move it. And that's going to be, it'll be buffering that all day. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be the least productive day of of my week. Well, Brett, any final thoughts as we begin to wrap this up? Oh, well, you know, every time he said, do we have time for that? We absolutely have time for anything you have to say because everything was so interesting. And so I, I really hope we do get to speak with him again because it was just so good. Oh, I am just have a big smile on my face. Yeah. I will also plug his podcast again, Life of Awesome. What I like about it is that they are uh, snippets. They're about 20 to 30 minutes long, and he provides these life lessons. A lot of times he will connect it to movies or pieces of pop culture that he really enjoys. He's also had some great interviews, one with Patrick Warburton in particular. There's also a great interview with Jody Benson. She shares some really emotional and heartfelt stories in that, and he also gets her to sing as well. Speaking of singing, he also gets Alan Menken to play and sing for him a melody at the end of his interview with Alan Menken. So go and check that out. So Life of Awesome, you can find that wherever you find podcasts. At the exact same time, if you are brand new to our podcast because you love Saul, make sure you go back and listen to some of our interviews. You can subscribe to us uh, wherever you find podcasts by just looking up Beyond the Mouse. You can also find us on social media, just as Saul's wife did. And you can find us at Beyond the Mouse Podcast on Facebook. Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals is our Facebook group where we like to really discuss our upcoming episodes and just things going on in the Disney parks with our fans. And then you can also find us on Instagram, Beyond the Mouse Pod, as well as Twitter, Beyond Mouse. I don't know where to go from here. I'm just so inspired. I'm ready to go and take on the world because of Saul's wise words. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Maybe in the front row of a Saul Blinkoff picture in the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I like going. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs>